Hello and welcome to our special podcast interview with marine biologist Georgie Kenning. We hope you enjoyed our pod play Call of the Blobfish. We very much enjoyed creating it for you. Now, I was lucky enough to go to the Marine Discovery Centre to interview Georgie, which was great as I got to see some of the beautiful fish they have there and get a glimpse of the wonderful work that they're doing there. But of course, it isn't a recording studio, so please forgive the sound of cars from outside and the echoiness. But Georgie is really great and I learnt a lot from her. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So today we are lucky to be speaking with Georgie Kenning from the Marine Discovery Centre. And so Georgie, you're a marine biologist, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And what was it that ignited your love of the ocean? Is there something you can remember in your childhood or sometime where you went, yes, oceans are for you? Um, I kind of had a roundabout way of coming to study marine biology. Um, being in Adelaide, obviously, we're really lucky to have gorgeous coastlines, so I've always grown up with going to the beach and staying in caravan parks down at Normanville, really close down by the beach there, and just spending the whole day with my family and looking through the sand and going for swims all day. Initially, when I went to study, I didn't even think about doing science. I was starting to do journalism, but that didn't really pan out. Um, but I found myself going back to science um, after really loving Year 12 biology. So I really loved the, the structure of science and having um, almost like a flowchart uh, sort of thought process in having one thing leads to another leads to another and having the connectedness of biology. Um, and then moving into marine biology, I loved the structure of science, but loved the idea that in the oceans that there is still so much that's a mystery. So it's kind of the to having the structure, but also having the a lot of mystery there that draw me to study marine science and see what else I can find out. And so in your job, how much time do you spend in the ocean? Um, not very much at all. Um, I actually don't even have my dive licence, so I just do some snorkeling and swimming and stuff. Um, my job here at the Marine Discovery Centre, though, when we do have visiting students and visitors, we are pretty much on the beach every day. So we go for about an hour walk along the beach, uh, beach combing and looking and seeing what we can find. So being just down by the ocean every day is really, really lovely, but not as much time in the ocean as I'd probably like. And do you spend a lot of time in the ocean in your spare time? Yeah, from yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I love going snorkelling down at uh, Port Nolunga um, or even just down here under Henley Jetty. It's amazing what you can actually see. There's not a reef there, but there's uh, jetty pylons and you see cowfish and puffers and lots of other cool stuff just swimming around the jetty. So I love just seeing what we've got here. And what is your favourite ocean creature? Ooh, really good question. Um, recently, uh, I've been teaching the Star of the Sea students here at the school actually about deep sea creatures, and I've just come across the giant oarfish, which is an 11 metre long, super skinny, strange looking fish um, with almost like a peacock sort of style headdress on its head and it's amazing weird looking creature so I've found a lot of love for these deep sea creatures which are just out of this world looking so yeah. I reckon that at the moment it's the oarfish. Yeah they're pretty amazing <laughs> aren't they yeah. deep sea creatures. How deep does the oarfish live? I believe the oarfish 
I think it's in the like midnight zone, which is like about below a thousand meters. So yeah, once you get into the deeper, darker parts of the ocean, um, and I actually discovered while teaching the kids that they swim a lot of the time. Uh, vertically instead of horizontally. Oh, wow. So their 11-metre-long body will hang down in the water column instead of swimming across. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And so if they're so big, what do they feed on down there? Um, a lot of the deep-sea creatures will rely on what's called marine snow, which is basically um, anything decaying or dying in the sunlit waters that then rains down into the deeper waters. So there's not a lot of, as much life as there is in sunlit waters down in the deep ocean, but a lot of the time they're relying on dead plants and animals that are floating down um, as tiny little sort of specks of marine snow. Wow. And so in our play, there's um, a, a blobfish would the blobfish feed on the similar materials? Um, a lot of the time they do. Um, I'm not sure exactly about the blobfish, but a lot of creatures will also feed on a lot of tiny crustaceans that will swim around in the water column um, or even small fish. So there's a lot of translucent uh, see-through species that live down um, probably about as deep as the blobfish would go, and it might feed on some of those too. So the anglerfish... I only discovered the other day that it's the, the female anglerfish that have the torch. Yeah. Um, and then the, the male anglerfish are actually really tiny. Do the anglerfish, so what depths do they live at? Same, similar depths? Uh, yeah, I believe they would be... Just trying to think. We watched a David Attenborough video on it together. They'd be, yeah, probably below 500, 600 metres as so well. So once you're getting into the... Twilight. Yeah, the twilight and midnight zones where the where the, uh, the light doesn't penetrate. But yeah, there's a lot of creatures. We've actually got a preserved one as well, the dragonfish, where the female is the normal large-looking fish and the males maybe even, you know, only a couple of centimetres long. Yeah, it's really strange. Amazing. Yeah. I had no idea until I yeah, researched that and went, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, my kids call the anglerfish bitey-bitey torchfish because <laughs> of the enormous teeth. The big teeth, yeah. yeah. That's great. Um, so what is one of the most favourite things about your job here at the Marine Discovery Centre? Uh, my favourite thing is being able to showcase uh, South Australia's marine life to students. So most of the time when we've got people coming to visit, they'll know Nemo, they'll know coral reefs because that has a lot of uh, publicity, I guess. Um, but we have really, really gorgeous uh, seaweed reefs and shellfish reefs and really amazing animals that are unique to South Australia um, that are just as fun and exciting as Nemo and Dory. So um, that's my favourite part is getting to discover more about South Australia's marine life and then passing it on to the students that come and visit us. And we have the incredible leafy sea dragon here too, mm. don't we? we? Are they around the, Nor not the Normanville jetty, but the Rapid Bay jetty? Yeah, Rapid Bay's a hot spot for them. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen one snorkelling? I haven't, no. Not yet. They're still on my bucket list to, yeah, be, me too. to see one <laughs> in yeah, real life. would be amazing. They're, they're very shy, aren't they? They're yeah. very good at camouflaging. Exactly. Disappearing. Yes. And those, um, the seaweed reefs you talk about, they're really important habitats, aren't they, for sea creatures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're um, harnessing energy from the sun and they're basically, as well as providing physical habitat, um, creating the basis for so many of the food webs there by harnessing the energy from the sun, passing it on to herbivores and then, um, yeah, fueling the food webs of South Australia's marine life. 
Mm. And so in terms of protecting these areas, can you talk a little bit about marine sanctuaries and how important they are for fish species? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's been a lot of work um, over the years uh, internationally with marine sanctuaries and marine protected areas and it's about finding that balance between the use of the area, people's dependence on either economically or socially for that area, or even culturally as well. Um, and then also protecting and trying to keep and preserve as much pristine habitat as we can. But really, really important, I believe, in terms of uh, fishing. So a lot of uh, species are really, really overexploited um, and also their habitat can be destroyed um, together as well as their populations being uh, decimated or being affected. So I think uh, marine sanctuaries are really important in terms of um, yeah, protecting the fishery species as well as protecting their habitat with things like trawling um, and different kinds of fishing methods that might be actually doing more damage than a lot of people realise. We have lots of different games um, and models to do with responsible fishing and sustainable fishing practices in South Australia. So um, I suppose the idea at the Marine Discovery Centre is that we're raising a generation of kids who are going to want to care for the ocean and they're basically brought up with all of those values. So um, knowing why they're throwing back the fish, not just that there's a rule of having to measure the fish and throw it back, but why the fish have that certain size so that they can reach maturity or why they can only take one kind of this fish or you know 10 of this kind of fish so it's about passing on the knowledge and having the reason why behind it so then kids are going to basically want to follow these rules in the future and protect our oceans. What are some things that uh, we can all do on a day-to-day -day basis to help protect the health of the oceans yeah. and, and the fish? Um, so uh, we also teach a lot about the connection between um, us living on the land and the ocean. So even when we don't live near the ocean, I live in Woodville, so it's a 20, 15, 20 minute drive to the ocean, but we're still connected. So we have to think about things like our storm water. So making sure we're raking up any leaves or lawn clippings that might eventually wash down the storm water drain, um, picking up your dog poo, uh, making sure that doesn't go down the drain either um, and as well as things like litter is obviously a really big one and plastics is a really big one now at the moment as well in plastic free July um, so as well as picking up litter but just trying to reduce the amount of plastics and I suppose disposable things that we use because so much of that ends up in the ocean through waterways through stormwater drains so yeah basically just keeping in mind that how much we are connected to the ocean um, through our waterways and stormwater and just making sure we're not polluting it as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and plastics are becoming a really scary thing for the oceans, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. I was driving behind um, a recycling truck mm. yesterday and little styrofoam balls were falling out of the back of the truck and I just went <laughs> into the gutters, into the drains, yeah. into the stormwater, into the sea. Yeah. So, yeah, really important with every, you know, little bits of plastic that we use to keep them away, mm. away from any potential for them to get into the yeah. sea because That's right. it's so damaging. Yeah. Why is the sea salty? Mm. Oh, really good question. Um, the sea is salty basically because, um, as I was talking about before, our connectedness with the ocean um, through the land and our waterways. So basically when we've got water going through 
um, smaller creeks flowing into rivers, most of those rivers will end up in the ocean. So a lot of the minerals that come out of the rocks or the soils that are from the land will wash out into the ocean. Um, but then when we come to the water cycle, so once again being connected, the water will evaporate from the ocean and form clouds and become the rain again. But that salt is too heavy to be evaporated out of the ocean. So we are getting a lot of fresh water flowing into the ocean, but the salt is being concentrated because it doesn't become evaporated into clouds. It stays down there in the ocean. So it's, yeah, basically from the rocks and the minerals. On, on land. And so is that why when you have a swim in the ocean after a heavy rain, there's like a, a layer of fresh water because the salt water is heavier than the yeah, fresh water? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So yeah, it becomes heavier and the, yeah, the fresh yeah. water on top, yeah. Amazing science, it's brilliant. <laughs> and why is the sea blue? Why is the sea blue? The sea is blue, I believe. This is more of like a physics question than a biology question. Um, I believe the sea is blue because of the light that is reflected, uh, basically. So a really interesting thing as well with um, deep sea fish is that a lot of them are red because red is the last colour on the light spectrum to be lost wow. as it goes down. So. Um, yeah, so blue is the first colour to be lost and red is the last colour to be lost on the light spectrum. So, yeah. Wow, that's um, incredible. Cool to look into. What's some other cool fact about deep sea fish? The size of them, so like the enormity of some of the deep sea creatures. So um, as you go down deeper, most animals will get um, either lose their eyes because it's so dark or they get really big eyes to be able to help them to see in the darkness, see as much as they can. Um, they'll turn translucent, so they'll lose the pigment in their skin because they don't basically need to camouflage with anything. It's completely dark. They can save energy by not creating that pigment. And also to camouflage, they can be translucent in the darkness and they grow really, really huge. So we have obviously crabs that live on the shoreline. As you get really deep, you get the giant spider crab that can grow to about five metres across. So that's with its, it's got a smallish body, but really, really long legs. So five metre wide crab sounds terrifying. Um, the, the giant and colossal squid that are about 12 to 14 metres in length as well with all their tentacles. Um, as I said, the oarfish before is like 11 metres long. Just, yeah, basically the scale of life that actually exists down there as well. How big, just in comparison, say a, a, a humpback whale, mm -hmm. what, what's the, what size do they grow to? Uh, so humpback whales grow to about 14 to 15 metres long. So some of those deep sea creatures are not much smaller than exactly, a whale. Exactly, yeah, and they don't have any bones or anything. They're just long gelatinous animals. <laughs> really, really cool. Wow. It's incredible, isn't it? The life in the ocean mm. and, like you said, how mysterious and wonderful and incredible it is. How much is unexplored and we yeah. might still not know everything. I was reading on your uh, blurb on the Marine Discovery Centre website that you are a dolphin volunteer. Yeah. So what do you do with the dolphins? Um, so I volunteer with the Adelaide Dolphin Sanctuary Action Group. Um, so that's based around the Adelaide Dolphin Sanctuary, which is to protect a um, population of about 30 to 40 resident dolphins that live amongst the in the Port River and then going up towards um, St Kilda and Port Kaula mangroves. So in that area, um, there's, yeah, as I said, about 30 to 40 
dolphins that live in that area and then a couple of hundred as well that will visit and use that area as well. So it's one of the um, closest places to a metropolitan city where you will find dolphins living there. So we're really, really lucky to have those beautiful dolphins. I went there the other day down to Port Adelaide and there was one like just literally right next to the pontoon, next to the wharf and just swimming around having fun. Um, so I'm basically mostly in an educational capacity with the dolphin um, volunteer group as well. So basically alerting people to um, the dolphins that are living there. Some people don't even realise that they're there and what they can do to make sure that dolphins don't um, become tangled in fishing line or are tangled in litter or um, as well as not feeding the dolphins as well so that they can find their own food. I guess you know all of them by sight. Um, I'm not so good. There are lots of volunteers who have been uh, volunteering for years and years who can just spot a dolphin off in the distance and know who they are. Um, they know them by the shape uh, and the features of their dorsal fins. So that's basically like their fingerprint. So there's a big database of all the dolphins that live in the area. Um, so some of our volunteers will also um, use all the range of photos and be able to um, cross-reference them with the database and then they can tell who's being where when so they can count the notches and the scratches in their fin and they can tell who it is. I've not got there yet but <laughs> I hope to be able to get there. <laughs> yeah, oh, dolphins are such incredible creatures. We've got a pod where I live that are pretty local Yeah. and um, there's a couple where, that you can tell because of the scars on their dorsal fins yeah. and you know it's lovely every summer you go hello there you are. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, form a connection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, it's been really great chatting to you, Georgie. Thank you cool. so much for jumping on Kids Story Room with us and saying good day and telling us all the amazing things that you've learnt and have to share about the oceans. And uh, are there any great resources that you can recommend for people who'd like to explore the oceans a little bit further? Um, yeah, so I've recently come across um, a really cool website called the Great Southern Reef. Um, so that is, like I was saying before, highlighting um, the beautiful reef that we have here in South Australia, the seaweed reefs. Um, so I think that's just greatsouthernreef.com. Um, they've got lots of cool um, underwater videos and lots of information about our local ecosystems. And the rock pool. So if you look up the rock pool, it's basically um, put together all of these different websites, so including the Marine Discovery Centre website, um, but lots of different websites and places where you can learn some more about South Australian marine life. Excellent. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, hopefully everybody uh, clicks on and uh, let's keep learning about the wonderful ocean that we all live with and want to protect. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Georgie. We'd like to thank Georgie very much for taking the time to speak with us. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us and happy National Science Week. Bye for now. <laughs>